I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Colossians 2, 11-15 In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set aside, nailing it to the cross, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. Hello, church. It's so good to be with you. Well, not with you, but here with you via video. Um, And I long to see you face-to-face, but until then, we're trying to make the best of the situation. So whether you're watching via YouTube or on video, or you're listening via the King's Church podcast, we're glad you are here. Well, There, wherever you may be. This morning, we've come to another fundamental truth in the Apostles' Creed. So far, we've considered God as Father, who's a creator of both heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, and suffered under Pontius Pilate. And that leads us right into today's statement. In the Apostles' Creed, we waste no time jumping right to what is the hallmark of the Christian faith. And that's this, that he was crucified, that he died and was buried. The writers of the creed waste very little time getting to the main point. And I think that this reflects the heartbeat of the apostles, doesn't it? In all of the epistles that we have, they're always pointing us as quickly as possible to the cross of Christ. So much so that Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, that he, he came to them and he decided to know nothing among them except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, why does Paul say that? I mean, we, we clearly see that the apostles, this is the heartbeat of the apostles. This is the point they're really trying to drive home. So when Paul is writing to a small church plant called Colossae, in, in Colossae, it's no exception. He heard from his friend Epaphras, who was the pastor there, of some false teachings and heresies that were springing up in this church. And they were robbing people of their assurance in the gospel. So Paul, in true Paul-like fashion, wants to show us two things. He wants us to show us who Jesus is and what he has done. So this morning, where I believe we're heading, is to, to look at this as our main idea. Jesus finished work on the cross brings us complete salvation, complete forgiveness, and complete victory. Jesus' finished work on the cross brings us complete salvation, 
complete forgiveness and complete victory. Now, although our passage this morning begins in verse 11, we need to back up a couple steps to get a bit of a running start into it. So I want us to look at verse 6, where he says, Therefore, he's already, he's already exalted Christ into what we refer to as a high Christology. He said all the things that Jesus is that make him worthy of our worship. And then he says in verse 6 of chapter 2, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him. And established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See, Paul is very serious in this letter about keeping the church focused on the main thing. The church plant has received the good news of Christ. And now they're challenged to remember, this is what you have received. Walk in this. Similar to the Apostles' Creed, right? The Apostles' Creed, one of the objectives of the Apostles' Creed is to guard us against anything that would creep in and rob us of our assurance in the faith we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So we guard and protect this, which brings us to our first point. In verse 11, we start with complete salvation. Complete salvation. In verse 11, our text begins with the language that's easy for us to kind of float on past. If you're anything like me, when I see these words, I get a little bit squirmish. But it's important for us to understand what Paul's talking about here. He says, in him also you were circumcised. After all, circumcision isn't something that I personally think about every single day. But for Paul, it's important that they, that they recognize that they were circumcised. And in Genesis 17, God tells Abraham that circumcision will be a sign of the covenant. And circumcision was just that. It was a sign It was a sign that in the scriptures pointed to an external surgery that did something in their relationship with God. It was setting them apart. It was cutting them out. Specifically, it symbolized that sin needed to be dealt with, that this wasn't just a problem of an external, but this was something that needed to be cut off and removed. But even later, in the, same, in the same larger book in the Pentateuch, Moses points us to a greater reality. Although Moses was the one who wrote about circumcision to begin with, he also leads us to, in Deuteronomy 36, tell us that the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring. And Moses is telling the people of Israel that they need to be saved. They need to be saved beyond mere externals. And so the actual form and right emphasized that our human nature needed to be dealt with. Ever since sin entered the world, it passed on from father to son, generation to generation. And Paul picks up on this in our passage when he says, In him you were circumcised, with a circumcision that was made without hands. And in the Greek, this is literally the idea of without human hands. This was made without human hands. Circumcision was always a symbol was always a symbol pointing to something else. And because of Christ's work, faith in his sacrifice brings us spiritual life that cuts off something that a mere spiritual surgery, physical surgery, could never do. So he's saying, you are saved. You've been cut out at a deeper level than anything that could happen in the flesh. 
This is something deeper. You're saved. There's no ritual you must perform to be saved further. Paul will say in 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away or been cut off. Behold, the new has come. How has this new creation and this new salvation come? Verse 12 begins to unpack the answer. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. See, Paul isn't saying that this external washing saves you any more than this external surgery. That's not what he's saying here. He's drawing our attention back to union with Christ as the thing that saves us. See, when you become a Christian, you are buried with him. You died and rose again to new life in him. Romans 6, 4, and 5 says it this way. We are buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we certainly will be united with him in resurrection like his. See, when you put your faith in Christ, it's almost as if you are transported back 2,000 years and nailed to a cross. It's almost as if on that cross you die and then you are buried and then three days later raised from the dead with Christ. You have union with Christ. He's not saying that you stop sinning here. What he is saying is that the consequences of your sin have been dealt with once and for all. You have died once to sin and you have already died with Christ. And sin and death and hell and Satan no longer have a claim on you. So let's summarize briefly. As believers have no need of external circumcision or ritual, in the same way they have no need of a baptism or external washing, something has happened internally that has brought about union with Christ, which means complete salvation is yours. Which brings us to point two, complete forgiveness. Look at verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh... God made alive together with him, having forgiven us some of our trespasses. No, this is, this is not what he says. He says all of your trespasses by canceling or blotting out the record or handwriting of debt that stood against us with its illegal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. There's so much to unpack here that we do not have time for, but I want us to look at a few parts of this. And you being dead. Let's talk about dead people for a second. Like, dead people have no function or purpose or movement, no vitality. You can try and get their attention all day long, but the problem with someone who's dead is they cannot respond. They're unresponsive. Why? Because they're dead. Dead people are unresponsive. And you and I, friends, we are born in a spiritually unresponsive state. And from birth, we're unresponsive to God. You and I are, in effect, spiritual corpses. We have no more power to raise ourselves from the dead than a dead man does to overcome his own death. But in Jesus, by his complete work, he frees us from sin 
and its power and consequences and gives us new life, raises us to the dead, makes us alive so we may respond. But how? How do you get all of this? What, what do you have to do? And it's simply this, by having faith in the finished work of Christ. We have union with Christ. Look at this, verse 9, it says, in Him. Verse 10, in Him. Verse 11, in whom? Verse 12, with Him. Verse 13, with Him. And then he says at the end of verse 15, you've been forgiven of all trespasses. This is past tense. It's already been done. All that believe are justified from all things. Total, complete forgiveness. Instant. The moment you believed that God forgave your sins and you confess those sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you of those sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. This is complete forgiveness. In Micah 7.18, uh, this, is, this is what... What Micah says that God is, God is like. Who is like our God? Pardoning iniquity, passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in the steadfast love. He delights in steadfast love. This is total and complete forever. There is no such thing as an unforgiven sin in the life of a Christian. Now let's look at verse 14 to see how this is even possible. By canceling or blotting out the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. The handwriting which was against us was blotted out or canceled. This is literally the language used of an autograph. Think of an autograph. An autograph being blotted out. And the technical use of this term, this phrase, is a handwritten note that a debtor would use to acknowledge his indebtedness. When you're willing to go up there and say, these are my sins, and sign on the dotted line, what what we're saying here is that the minute you sign and confess it, God blots it out. He blots it out. And Paul continues to say, that which stood against us or was contrary to us, He set this aside, or he took it out of the way, literally wiped it off, like erasing a blackboard. This is the forgiveness of God. When you receive Jesus Christ and you walk up and you say, I am guilty as charged. In that moment, that's when God nails your sin, your debt to the cross. And the penalty is paid, not in part, that you need to do other things to earn his, merit, his favor or forgiveness. No, it's paid, and it's paid in full. It's wiped clean, erased, done, complete, complete forgiveness. So, uh, friends, do we carry around with us shame and guilt, which often leads us to fear? I know when I do, I, I find myself drifting away or forgetting the complete forgiveness of God. If God has forgiven me, who am I not to forgive myself or to not live in the reality or the light of God's forgiveness? Another implication is, are we unforgiving as people? We are no more like God than when we erase a debt. 
when we, when we offer forgiveness. This is a self-giving love that moves out towards us in forgiveness. Do we proactively forgive or do we hold on to things? God would call us to be a forgiving people. So this is what Martin Luther says about this idea. And I love this quote. So when the devil throws sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God. And where he is, there I may be also. Complete forgiveness. There's so many, there's so many hymns and songs that bubble up when we talk about the crucifixion. This one comes to mind. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is that flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount that I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. We add nothing to this. This is complete forgiveness, complete salvation. And our final point, complete victory. In verse 15, Paul says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities, putting them to open shame triumphing over them in him. Again, our union. Where did Jesus bruise the head of Satan? At the cross. Where did he break his power? At the cross. Where did he take the power of death? At the cross. Satan's dominion was broken at the cross. As Jesus is hanging there, you can only imagine the demons and Satan having a field day thinking that they had the upper hand, seeing him bound to a wooden tree, drowning in his own blood, his lungs filling, pierced through his hands and his feet, the crown of thorns pressed into his head. But they could not have been more wrong, for in that very moment, he mastered even death. And the tools of these spiritual forces, such as fear and shame and guilt and death, are defeated and disarmed too because Jesus cried out, it is finished. The work is complete. Complete forgiveness. Complete salvation. Paul is saying that only one message of hope pierces through that kind of darkness. And that is this. Jesus and Him crucified. Jesus Christ our Lord. And all the forces of the universe are subject to Him and he is their conqueror. You'll hear much more about this next week when Pastor Ian dives in to send it to the dead. The point is this. The death of Christ was a transformation. That death was a pardon. And the death was a triumph. And that makes for complete salvation. Let's close like this. Our salvation, forgiveness, and victory is complete because of the cross. So where do we go from here? A lot of times we think of the, the cross as kind of our entry point, the door that we walk through to enter into the Christian life. And I want us to look at where we're headed to see what we should think of the cross now. In Revelation 5.12, you see thousands and thousands, myriads and myriads of angels and elders surrounding the throne. And what are they, worship, what are they saying what are their thoughts and their worship? Where is it going? And they say this, Worthy is the Lamb 
who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Friends, we're going to worship the Lamb for all of eternity, and that starts now. We don't move past the cross because we never will. We're always living in the shadow of the cross. As we see the sin in our own lives, we know it's been conquered. We may still experience the, the fallen condition of this world, but that should only lead us back to the foot of the cross where true salvation, complete forgiveness is found. And we'll be caught up even more in the song, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Everything changes because Jesus, God's only Son, our Lord, was crucified, died, and buried. And we change by the power of the Holy Spirit in response to this good news, to the glory of the Father, not because of rituals or works or anything that we might bring to the table, but because of the great self-giving love of God the Father, who has showed us that while we're still sinners, He sent His only Son to die for us. The cross isn't something we move past. It's something that we'll proclaim every day from now until eternity. So some acknowledge Jesus as a Savior. Some acknowledge Him as even being a good moral teacher. Even the demons know who He is and could probably pass every major theology quiz we would throw at them. But one thing they do not do that we must do is acknowledge him as our Savior and say, along with the apostles, I, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for sending your son. Forgiveness would not be possible. Salvation would not be possible for us. We were dead. We were unresponsive, and you loved us still. You came and created in us hearts that could respond to you as Abba, Father. And you did this by the life and the crucifixion and the death and the burial of Jesus Christ. So, God, continue to build in us hearts of worship that love you by the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us testify of the truth that because of the crucifixion, everything is different and everything has changed. So we glorify you, we honor you, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources, information, and opportunities to connect with us at the King's Church, please visit our website, kingschurchlkld.com.